Well, we're moving toward Easter, and uh, at the same season of the year is Passover. In fact, uh, Jesus was crucified on the day of Passover, in all likelihood, and uh, that was a very, very important celebration and memorial for the Jewish people. And I want to connect that to our celebration of Easter and help us to understand that. In order to do that properly, though, we really need to back up and, and look at the holy history. Uh, and that's really the history of Israel as God uh, interacted and intervened in the, the life of the, the family of Israel, the family of Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. Now, we didn't look at him in depth, but we did look at Joseph last week because Joseph helps us to understand how this family of Jacob or Israel became the nation of Israel while they were in Egypt. So at the end of the Joseph story, Joseph is used by God. Uh, providentially, God prepares Joseph through a lot of suffering to really be in position. And I think that's, that's something we're going to see this week that's very important. God wants to put you in position so that he can use you for his purpose. And God put Joseph in position so he could use him for the purpose of saving his family, Joseph's family, but also really saving people all around that, uh, that area from famine. There would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And God gave Pharaoh, the, the ruler of Egypt, a dream that uh, predicted that. And so that prediction was given to Pharaoh and God used Joseph uh, as the second in command in Egypt, he was promoted from prison to become second in command in Egypt. And he uh, managed or oversaw or stewarded the collection of grain throughout the seven years of plenty so that during the seven years of famine, they would have food. And they did. Well, God's purpose was to save people, period. But God's purpose for us was to save his uh, his unique people, Israel, who at that point in time were just 12 brothers uh, and uh, around 70 people. At the conclusion of Genesis, we find that Joseph's family, um, Jacob, his father, and his other 11 brothers all came to Egypt, and they were placed in a, uh, a very, very nice area called the land of Goshen, and there they could shepherd their flocks, and they were very favored. They were favored by uh, the Egyptians, they were favored by Pharaoh, and uh, they really enjoyed that favor for some time. But then we go from Genesis to Exodus, and we discover that this is indeed a fallen world, and something happened. So um, what I would like to do, I can read this on the computer here, but uh, I would like to read it out of a paper Bible in front of you. This is I'm going to be reading this from the New Living Translation, which when you're reading a long passage of Scripture, I think the New Living is a good translation. It's intended to help us to understand in English what's going on. So this is Exodus chapter 1, and uh, beginning with verse 6. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. 
We must, take, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, if war breaks out, they may join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. So from being favored, now they're slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? Then the, he <clears throat> the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So what a dramatic reversal of fortune, right? We like to hear the Joseph story and all of the wonderful things that God did by promoting Joseph to second in command and, and you know that Joseph was able to see the fulfillment of his dreams where his entire family bowed before him. Um, but now we get to this part of the story in holy history, and we wonder, why would the Lord allow this to happen? Well, interestingly enough, as I was reading this today, um, this, God uses what goes on in the world, the, the circumstances that we face, the, the events that we go through, um, things that we call coincidence, God arranges as providence, and He has a purpose for all of it. But I would say this, as I was rereading this again this morning, the Israelites didn't really have any concern about God, even while they were suffering. And so uh, I guess my answer to the question as to why God didn't save them sooner, other than the fact that it is certainly his sovereign providence, is that they really weren't all that concerned about God, um, even after things got very, very bad. So once again, uh, I want to lay down this pattern for us, and I don't know how long I'm going to be preaching through the, the Holy History. I know that we're going to do it leading up to Easter, but I may continue in the Holy History even after that. And for that purpose, there's a theme verse, 1 Corinthians um, 10, 11. It says, these things happen to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the ages has come. So when you read the Old Testament, don't just read it as old history. Don't just read it as Bible stories that you might have remembered if you went to Sunday school when you were younger. Understand that God is trying to teach you a lesson. And that's what I hope you will see through all of these stories, right? So we're examining this holy history leading up to the Passover. Jesus was crucified on the day of Passover, and he is indeed our Passover lamb. That's what 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says. We are looking for symbols and lessons that we may learn in this journey. Last week, we looked at Joseph's story in part and learned about God's unmerited favor or grace. God didn't choose Joseph because he was better than anybody else. He simply chose Joseph because that's what he wanted to do. 
there was no merit behind it. God simply chose Joseph, and Joseph uh, was accepting of God's choice, and he embraced it. We also learned about God's providence, which means he's using every circumstance or event for the good of his favored people to his glory. Romans 8, 28 through 30 describes that, but hopefully you will at least remember Romans 8, 28, and God causes how many things? All things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. This is all about God's purpose. It's not about my purpose, Joseph's purpose, or today we're going to look at Moses. God's providential care for his people continues as we look at the life of Moses. Israel was provided for by the abundance in Egypt. Israel grew from a family of 70 into a nation of many thousands during the 200 to 400 years in Egypt. Now, I could give you more precise numbers, but quite honestly, scholars diverge as to exactly how many years. It says when they leave Egypt on the Exodus that they it was 430 years to the day. But some scholars think that that 430 years might go all the way back to Abraham, and others say, well, that means from the day they came into Egypt originally. So one way or the other, they were there for two to 400 years. It is likely that they were in Egypt longer than the United States has been a nation. So that should give you an idea um, as to how much they would have grown. There was a family of 70, and now there were many thousands. Once again, there's a divergence of opinion as to exactly how we count the people. And uh, assuming that you're interested in that, I can get into that in more detail. Maybe you can come up and talk to me. But there were many thousands of these people. They had grown from a family, albeit a large family, into a nation of people. Now, uh, in Exodus 1.8, the second verse that I read today, uh, it says, and then there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. So I want us to look, as we're, we're studying this, I want us to look at, um, at these possible symbols for us. Egypt, throughout the Old Testament, represents natural strength, right? Egypt represents natural government and natural strength. So if we look at Egypt as an example of an individual human, then we would talk about the flesh. If we look at Egypt as representative of the world, then we would see that Egypt is really, in its time, is kind of like America has been for so many years, the land of, of plenty and the land that has a tremendous amount of power. So Egypt equals natural strength and ability. Um, our dependence must be upon God and his provision, not on self, that is the flesh, and not on government. God may use whatever he chooses to provide for us. He can provide for us through the government. He provided for these people through Egypt. But see, then we become dependent upon the provision rather than the provider. We begin to look to the gift rather than we look to the giver. And we lose awareness of God. And therefore, we lose wisdom and we lose knowledge as a result. So look at yourself and, and your relationship to United States and government, your relationship to yourself and your own strength. God may use whatever he chooses, but we've got to continue to rely upon the Lord. If you have certain natural talents and natural abilities, thank the Lord for those. You don't need to turn away and say, oh, it's nothing. Uh, thank the Lord for what he's given you and then use it to glorify and honor him. 
whatever that natural talent and that natural ability may be. When we receive some sort of support or provision from our government, when, we, when our country is operating in accordance with his constitution and we have the freedom to worship, then we need to be grateful to God. Amen? And that's who we need to continue to depend on because when we turn our eyes away from him, as many in our nation have, and we begin to depend on self, we begin to depend on the flesh, we begin to depend on government, that's when we get ourselves in deep trouble. And certainly that's what had taken place. So Israel went from Pharaoh's favor to Egypt's slaves. At first they were content because their bellies were full. They did not turn, uh, they did not turn to God because they relied on Egypt. See, I wonder, through the pandemic, this is just really a perfect example in my opinion. Through the pandemic, were you relying on God? Or were you scared and running around and relying on your mask and later relying on the vaccine? It's not to say that these things could not be used by God and were not used by God. My point is, have you been relying on the Lord? Or are you scrambling around looking and you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen? I, quite honestly, um, for the first time in many years, when they said that they were going to shut everything down, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, uh, how are we going to you know, meet our bills? Uh, you know, and then they talked about the payroll protection plan and all this other stuff. And I really didn't want to take money from the government, but I was like, okay, Lord, what are we supposed to do here? And so I talked to the bank that does our, uh, uh, does our banking to find out how to do that. And we did not end up doing that because it's not really what I wanted to do. And the, the beauty of all of it was that throughout the entire shutdown, because of the, the grace of our landlords at the time, and because of many of you, we continued to pay our bills and we continued to stay open because I think we continued to trust the Lord. Amen? But I wonder how many people are looking to the government for the next handout, right? For the next pandemic check, for the next stimulus check. And I think that perhaps that has happened and it is perhaps the purpose uh, in the minds of some in government to get people to be dependent upon the government so the government can be in control. Listen, the only one that needs to be in charge of you is Jesus, amen? When you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saying you're in charge of me. You're saying I'm not even in charge of me anymore. You're in charge of me. That's what it means. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you're inviting him not just to come inside and give you a warm feeling. You're inviting him to take charge of your life. And then you go on depending upon the Lord. Amen? That's what we need to understand. Because we, if you look back, have been through crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. It's like we just skip from one to the next to the next. All through that, our dependence must be upon the Lord, realizing that he is providentially preparing to deliver us already from the next crisis, right? So eventually, the Israelites' labor got so difficult that they cried out. Now, this is what I mentioned earlier, but I only noticed for the first time today. It does not say they cried out to the Lord. They did not cry out to the Lord. In spite of the fact that so many bad things were happening, uh, we're going to look at Moses in just a second, but I want to skip to the end of chapter uh, 2, as this is where we hear the statement regarding them crying out. So Moses, uh, as we'll see in just a moment, Moses was saved from the plan of the Egyptians to kill all the boy babies. And he actually ended up being raised in Pharaoh's court by one of Pharaoh's daughters. And that's very providential, but we're going to get back to that. But then Moses took things into his own hand and tried to save a Hebrew slave who was being beaten by an Egyptian and ended up murdering the guy. 
He was found out, and then he ended up leaving Egypt. He ended up going to the, the backside of the Arabian desert, and he became a shepherd for 40 years, shepherding the flock of another man. During this time, the, uh, the slavery in Egypt becomes increasingly intolerable. And at the end of this 40-year period, so Moses was 40 when he left Egypt. He was on the backside of the desert for another 40 years. So this is 80 years later. And now finally we hear this statement in verse 23 of Exodus 2. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. Now that's the original Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that Moses was raised in the family of. In all likelihood, Moses was raised next to the person who would become the next Pharaoh, who we believe was Ramses. And that is why Moses had access to the, the court of Pharaoh. Some random Hebrew who's a slave could not have gone into Pharaoh and started a conversation with him. But when Moses came back, he had been raised with this Pharaoh. They were like brothers. And so he could go in and he could talk to him. They could have the, these conversations, albeit conversations that the, the Pharaoh did not like. But nonetheless, that was God's providential preparation for Moses. But then at the end of this time, this is like 80 years later, years passed and the king of Egypt died, the, the elder Pharaoh, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help. It doesn't say they cried to God. And their cry arose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's going to save them, not because they're crying out to him, because they're not. He's going to save them because of his covenant with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wow. Just wow. I wonder how many of us, when trouble comes, just kind of forget to pray. Or we just complain. Or in our day, we just post. You know, I love it. You know, people say thoughts and prayers. You know, it's nice to know people are thinking about you, but it doesn't change your situation. It doesn't change your circumstances. But when you pray, you get access to Almighty God. Amen? And that gives you, He gives you the power to overcome or at least to go through those circumstances. Right? So, what we find is by verse 23, the Lord had already prepared for their deliverance by saving and raising up one of their own in Pharaoh's court. And as we've discovered, his name was Moses. So now I'm going to read from chapter 2. Now we're going back in time, okay? So the end of chapter 1, Pharaoh, the elder Pharaoh had said, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. This is Exodus 2 verse 1. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and gave him and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Can you imagine this? Just the desperation that we find here. And yet her plan is to put the baby in a basket, turning it into a little boat and float it down the Nile River. But see, there was wisdom here because she knew who would be nearby. 
Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maids out to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw that the, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby said, I love this. This is so providential, right? So here's Moses' sister, presumably Miriam, who's watching this little boat go by. And she sees Pharaoh's daughter and, and the compassion that goes out uh, from Pharaoh's daughter, right? So presumably Miriam, the baby's sister, approached, Moses' sister, approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. She's already assuming that this bond has happened between this princess and this little baby. And she says, I can get a woman to nurse the baby for you. Guess who the woman that nursed the baby was? Yeah, Moses' mother. Isn't that greatness? It's just awesome. So God saved Moses' life and gave him back to the arms of his mother until he was weaned, and then it was time for him to grow up in Pharaoh's court. Verse 9, take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So not only did his own mother get to raise him or wean him, she gets paid for it. This is, this is awesome. This is the kind of thing that God does. And this is why you want to be in God's will. Amen? So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moshe, Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. That's what this word means in Hebrew. Moshe means from the water. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After he looked in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and filled the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. Are you noticing a theme here with Moses? He's always trying to save somebody, right? So here is this Egyptian slave master who's beating a Hebrew. And so he runs to the rescue and says, I'll, I'll save you and then kills the guy. And now he sees these, these daughters of, we find out, uh, of this man who becomes his father-in-law, Ruel is one name for the man, who are being chased away by a group of male shepherds, and he jumps to the rescue once again. I'll save you. So uh, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked, why are you back so soon today? An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Now, they wouldn't have known that Moses was a Hebrew because he would have still looked exactly like an Egyptian. Egyptians were different. They shaved their faces. They, they cut their hair differently. Um, it, it was just a, a very different look than a Hebrew would have had. Then where is he, their father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation and he settled there with him. That is, Moses settled with Ruel. Um, 
In time, Ruel gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. Later, she gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry arose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down, he looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. So there's the entire story. So I don't have to relate it to you. You've actually heard it. So let's make some application here. And this is where if you are uh, following along in your bulletin or you're following along on the Bible app, you will find uh, that this is where the outline uh, begins. Uh, Number one, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? He doesn't call people that are good enough. He doesn't call people because they're talented. He doesn't call people because they're beautiful. He doesn't call people because they're strong. He calls people because he wants to. That's what he chooses to do. That's God's sovereignty. Now, that doesn't mean that you have no choice. You still have the ability to say no. God can offer you grace and you can turn your back on that grace. God can call you to do something and you can say no. You can walk away from it. In fact, I believe that that's really what's behind the entirety of this life. You are being given the opportunity to say yes or no to God at every step of the journey, okay? So um, you may think, wow, I am utterly unqualified to do what I think God is calling me to do. Don't worry. If he's calling you, he will supply everything that you need. And we're going to see that more next week when we look at um, Moses' call from God in chapter 3. Number two, God began preparing Moses from the time he was born. You know, this is a theme in Scripture. We find this with Jeremiah. From the, God says, I knew you in your mother's womb. He prepared you from the... You are where you are today. You are in Garland, Texas, or wherever you're watching this from uh, on video. Um, you're where you are today because God wants to get through to you in the midst of that geography and those circumstances. We find this in the book of Acts that when the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Athenian philosophers, he says, God put you exactly where you are so that you would perhaps reach out and find him. That's God's purpose. Whatever you're going through, his purpose is to get you to turn to him. Amen? Amen. So you may be going through a tremendous difficult time right now, or things may be going well. God's purpose is to get you to look to him. So we need to understand that God's been preparing you just like he was preparing Moses. But what for? Well, let's continue. Number three, God's providence was in operation when preserving baby Moses and during the time he was raised in Pharaoh's household. So we saw God's providential care of Moses when we uh, saw that it was actually Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, They're not going to kill a baby that she wants to adopt, that she wants to keep. Pharaoh's daughter becomes his protector and later his adopted mother. And then she lets his own mother raise him and pays her to do it. That's God's providence. You know, you say, oh, what what a coincidence. There are no coincidences in the kingdom, friend. There's just providence. Amen? Amen. No coincidence, just providence if you're a part of God's purpose. Wow, you should write that down. All right. Number four, preparation involves getting into position for God to work. So uh, we were, Mary and I were talking about this yesterday. God is putting you or has put you or will put you in position so that his purpose can be carried out. For Moses, as I mentioned when we were looking at the story, God positioned Moses in Pharaoh's court. He was raised like a brother 
with the next Pharaoh. And that gave him access to that Pharaoh later on when he came back from the backside of the desert, back from Midian to deliver uh, Egypt through God's power. But what happens? Moses realized that God had chosen him for something. Moses' personality was that he wanted to rescue people. He wanted to save people. He wanted to help people. But when he went out and did it on his own, he failed. Well, Moses acted alone, number five, and failed. It wasn't time, nor was this the way to help God's people. You know, I see things all the time that infuriate me. And, you know, I understand what the Lord Jesus taught when he said, turn the other cheek, because it's so easy to become offended when something happens to you. But I become infuriated at the injustice that I see all over the place with how people are treated oftentimes. And this may be injustices uh, like we, we you know, dealt with when we had the, the protests a couple of years ago as the result of, of George Floyd and how uh, Derek Chavon uh, essentially murdered him. Injustice, and it infuriated a lot of people. But I see this all the time. So recently, I, I saw a story where two teenagers um, took a baseball bat to their Spanish teacher and murdered her. And, and, you know, you look at their faces and they just look like kids. And I'm thinking, this is so evil. And, you know, my immediate reaction to this is not mercy. My immediate reaction is they should both die. They should just both, you, you, if you take a life, you owe, you owe a life, right? Well, here's Moses who took a life, but God didn't take his life, right? God offers grace, God offers mercy, even when we don't. So, It's too easy to want to take things into your own hands and try to right all the wrongs yourself. God says, no, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Right? You need to be kind to your enemy and leave it to me. So uh, this was was failure on Moses' part. But once again, providence is providence. So the providence that saved Moses out of the water was also the providence that took him into the backside of the desert and trained him as a shepherd for 40 years. Um... Number six, God did not give up on Moses, even though he was a murderer. God hasn't given up on you either. I wonder, have you made some mistakes? Do you feel like you're too old now? Do you feel like you're just not going to ever uh, live up to the, the hopes and the dreams that you had when you were younger? Do you feel like you're not talented enough? You're not good enough? You feel like you've sinned so much that you can't go back and, and remake things? You know what? I'm noticing there's a theme right now. Um, in, in uh, books that I'm finding on Amazon. I have an Amazon Kindle, and I have this Amazon Unlimited, uh, Kindle Unlimited thing, and so I can just keep checking out all these different books and reading them. And right now, there are a, a huge number of books on time travel. And many of them are focused on people going back in their own lives with the purpose of what? Trying to correct the things that they did wrong when they were younger, Right? And it's very interesting. There's a, there's a guy named, uh, I think the, his last name is Inman. I think the first name is Sean. And he's got a huge number of these books where these people keep, they're all going back in time. And, you know, the theme is they're always trying to go back and correct the, you can't do it. It's not possible. All right? Even if you're young, you can be living in the past. You don't want to live in yesterday. Yesterday's gone, friend. All right? What you want to do is you want to put hope in God's purpose and God's plan for your future, and you want to live today. Not for today, you want to live today. Pay attention to what's going on today, right? And realize that God is able to take everything in your life, 
Indeed, when you call upon the name of Jesus, you will find that he's already taken everything in your life and made it into a process of creating in you what he wants to create in you. Okay? Um, Romans 11.29 teaches the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Did you hear that promise? That is speaking of Israel, his people, and they blew it a lot. And if we continue on in the holy history, you're going to see how many times these former slaves blew it in the wilderness and refused to rely on God. But they blew it a lot. And yet God said, I'm still not giving up on you. I'm still not giving up on you. I'm still not giving up on you. I have not given up on you yet. Are you hearing God speak? He who began a good work and you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? Has he begun the work in you? Have you allowed him to begin the work in you? Then he's going to continue the process no matter what you've done. Amen? All right. It's good news. It's good news to me. All right. Number seven, Moses spent the next 40 years in the desert getting into condition to lead God's people. He had to work as the humble shepherd of another man's flock. So here's a guy that was raised in the court of Pharaoh, and now he's tending sheep for uh, a Bedouin in the wilderness. Wow, quite a demotion. But see, oftentimes God trained his men, and women also, by the way, as shepherds. Rebecca was a shepherdess. Rachel was a shepherdess. Obviously, Ruel's daughters, one of whom Moses married, Zipporah, was a shepherdess. David was probably the most famous shepherd. And of course, Moses here becomes a shepherd because it teaches them how to lead people because people are sheeple. Amen? And so shepherds uh, discover a unique uh, capability of caring for and helping people. So... um, the, the scripture that I will, will uh, quote in alignment with this, uh, uh, number seven in our outline, um, where God trained Moses, disciplined Moses in the wilderness, is Hebrews 12, 11, right? It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Felix, was boot camp and training joyful? Yeah. Were you jumping around? <laughs> Woo! I love the army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I bet it was hard, wasn't it? But I bet you're rock hard now, aren't you? Yeah. I want to spar you now. <laughs> this army man's going to knock me out. That's what's going to happen. I'll have to show him some of my fourth-degree black belt tricks. All right. No, all, all discipline, all training for the moment seems not to be joyful. But, buddy, 22 weeks after you left, you're a rock-hard army man, and you can do things that you would not have been able to do several months back right? You're the same you. You're the same personality. Still got Jesus in your heart, right? Okay. But man, physically, I mean, you've been through some training. You've got some, you've got some things now to offer, right? Offer, you know, to defend the United States. And I hope you don't get called up to, to, to have to do that, right? But God's going to use you in a lot of different ways. You all are going through boot camp, guys. That's what we're doing. That's what we're down here for. We're training for reigning, Right? God's getting us ready because he has a purpose down here for you, but he has an eternal purpose for you as well. And that's very, very important. All discipline, all training for the moment seems not to be joyful, but in the end, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. Wow. That's what God is training you to have, is to have that, that peace and that rest in him. Right? Very quickly, takeaways for you from Moses' early life. 
A, God has a purpose for you too at every season of your life. What is that purpose? Primarily, that purpose is to make you more like Jesus. So I quote Romans 8, 28 a whole lot, right? God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But then Romans 8, 29 says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is trying to do with you. He is seeking to form you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the primary purpose. But God has other auxiliary and ciliary purposes for you down here on earth as well. Um, letter B, God is preparing you for your earthly and eternal purpose right now. Um, the primary purpose, as I said, is to make you more like Jesus. And letter C, God has acted providentially to put you in position to accomplish this. So you may look around and say, well, you know what? I don't know what I'm in position to do. But you have been put in position for God's purpose. And you may not see it yet. When Joseph was in jail, he couldn't see how he was in position to accomplish God's purpose. But if Moses, if, excuse me, if J Joseph, if I can get these characters right, if Joseph had not been put in jail, he would not have met Pharaoh's uh, cupbearer and baker, and therefore he would not have been known as the one that could interpret a dream. And then that would not have been related to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would not have called on some prisoner and some slave to interpret his dream. But that is exactly what Joseph was in position to do. Moses, when he's on the backside of the desert, isn't thinking, hey, I'm in position to really lead the people of, of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. But that's exactly what he's in position to do. God has put you in position for his purpose, right? Um, so realize that even if it doesn't look like it, God hasn't give up, given up on you, so don't give up on God or his will for your life. Um, Number next, God is training you to be in condition to take hold of his promised purpose. So I've been looking at this for years. In order for you to attain God's promises, you have to be in position and you have to be in condition. You see, the promise is not just a gift that I receive. It is a calling. And it is bringing me into this purpose of God. And through that purpose of God, I am going to need, I'm going to need to be in condition to fulfill the calling that God has for me. Um, so you and I, in conclusion, have been prepared for a time such as this. Amen? Amen. Say this after me. Say, I have been prepared for a time such as this. So there can be the tendency for us to be worldly to be fleshly, to look down, to look at ourselves, to look around instead of to look up. And when we do that, we're scared, we're angry, we're confused, we're depressed because we're getting all this feedback from the world and the world has turned its back on God and the world has fallen anyway. But if you continue to put your hope fully, your trust completely in the Lord, if you realize that he called you from your mother's womb, he knew you were going to call upon him, and he prepared a life for you prior to that. That doesn't abrogate your call. That doesn't abrogate your choice. But what you need to understand is if God doesn't choose, you won't choose. Wow, that's exactly right. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. If God doesn't choose, you won't choose. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't choose, that you can, you know are unable to turn away from God, you are able to do that. 
but it means that God has chosen first and he has prepared first. So the times that we're looking at, we may think they're just out of control. As I said earlier, one crisis after another, you know, we've got four years of, of the, the media hating on one president and, and then we've got these, these protests and then we're, we're faced with a pandemic and now we're finally getting to the end of that and now we're facing, you know, the potential of gas prices skyrocketing and food shortages and all these other things that they keep talking about. Listen, you have been prepared for a time such as this. Amen? Amen. Grab a hold of that purpose of God and realize that not only did he cho choose Moses, but if you've called upon the name of Jesus, he has chosen you as well. So believe. There's a really good song that's out right now. Maybe I can convince our band to sing it. Um, I don't even know what the title of it is, but the refrain over and over again is keep your hopes up. Keep your hopes up. Keep your hopes up. Well, you know what? When you have the promises of God, you can keep your hopes up. They can constantly, because my hope is not dependent upon what's going on in the world. The, the pandemic and the protests and the, and the shutdowns and wars and rumors of wars and all that. Oh, forget all that, man. I'm positive because I know who God is. I know who Almighty God is. And He has prepared me for a time such as this. And I believe He has prepared Lifewell Church for a time such as this. Can you embrace that? Can you put your faith in it? Because if you can, you will keep your hopes up. And lastly, you and I need to persevere. Here's the last verse. For you have need of endurance. You have a need of perseverance so that once you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hey, life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. Life is an ultra marathon. You just got to keep running and realize that the Lord is going to give you the strength. Okay? Hope in the Lord and He will renew your strength and then you will be able to rise up or mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not become faint. Amen? Isaiah chapter 40. That's for you. So I hope you've embraced this today, right? This is just a piece of the Moses story. Next week, we see where Moses meets God and discovers his name and receives his call. So I hope you're counting on coming next week.